up, everybody? You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job. I have lots of opinions, so I come here once a week to get them off my chest. Some you might like, some you might hate, but that's okay. We can still be friends. One thing about me, I never do pre-recorded intros. Today is January 31st, 2021. We are amidst a trip to the moon, riding on the back of GameStop's stock GME. I've got a lot to talk about today, so sit back, relax, open up your mind, grab some popcorn, and let me take over the steering wheel for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. Tarnation is happening, everybody. Man, feels good to be back. Sorry for the delay off last week. I had uh, gone to Conroe to see my buddy Stephen, uh, who flew down from Alaska, and his dad. So I was gone last weekend, and after a whirlwind of a week, whereby I played stockbroker all week, uh, I'm back. And last week was crazy. It was fueled with energy drinks and junk food. And non-stop reading about the GameStop stock thing. I'm not going to go into detail here. I have another podcast that I just uploaded that uh, that breaks everything down. So, either way, I'm happy to say, as you might have drawn from the intro song, that I had a pretty good week in the stock market. I was up 500%, and I turned 7,000 into 35,000. So... This was an anomaly. This will never happen again. I'm not some genius. I'm not some magical person. I didn't I didn't see anything and take advantage of it. I just jumped on the train. So there's people out there with way bigger returns for way more money. But I'm not greedy. I was happy just to get mine and get off. But by far, one of the most, or probably the most disruptive thing uh, that we will have seen in the stock market when this thing shakes out. So... I just crunched some numbers. Uh, I think that all the Reddit kids are holding a huge number of shares, uh, which will cause the price just to keep going higher and higher. So if you want to get in, get in, but don't call me and ask me. So I've, uh, I've got a pile of things here that I've been wanting to get to for a while. And as Joe Biden would say, uh, number one, the man loves the number of his points. I was scrolling through the news the other day. Maybe it was on Reddit. I can't remember. Facebook, maybe. And I saw someone make a post. Uh, they were standing at a wedding altar, getting married with masks on. And the, the, which is fine, whatever. You know, hey, listen, don't get all been out of shape yet, calling me an anti-masker. Just hear me out. Just hear me out. I know you guys get sick of hearing me talk about the mask. I realize that. I just hope that you take the dissection for what it's worth. And not just tune me out because you're so sick of hearing about the mask. Because there's an underlying argument at every mask complaint that I have. And I do my best to break it down. Now, I do this for the people that don't understand where they, quote, 
anti-maskers are coming from. So this is the only reason why I'm doing it. So going back to the wedding, they took a picture of themselves at the altar. Then they made a post and it said, since no one else is posting pictures of themselves getting married in, in masks, I thought we would do it. I thought to myself, why? Why? Why do you, why do you feel like you need to do it? Why do you want to show that you're wearing a mask to get married? Is it important to you? Is it important to you that you show everyone, hey, look at me, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Yay, me. Is it important to you? Do you not have enough self-esteem? Do you not have enough confidence in the decisions that you make going about your life so that you don't have to post it? And not only do you post it, you post it because you want credit. See, here's the problem I have. It's not the mask. It's not the people that wear the masks. It's the people who want the credit and shame other people for wearing the mask. There's a big difference there. Look, we've got the data. We've got numbers. We've got things that show that masks don't necessarily make a difference. Okay? The only data we have is by comparing different cities. You know it. You've been to a place. Well, maybe you have. Maybe you have it. But there are places out there where people have just, they're done. They don't wear the masks anywhere they go. There's places where they're optional, where people, they're supposed to wear the masks. Some do, some don't. And then there's other places where people are still masked up to the gills. And there is no correlation. None of those cities show any types of uh, different number movement, right? And if you don't like looking at people in masks and you think it's disgusting that you have a piece of cloth over your face covered in snot and spit and sweat and saliva the entire day, if you think that's gross, then just stop wearing the mask and stop caring what people think about you. Okay, this whole like, well, you could have it and not know it and spread it and not know it. This is, this is all, this, we're not sure. We don't know. We don't know. And there's risks to everything. So I'm not telling you not to wear a mask. I am telling you that if you don't want to wear a mask, not to wear one. Because that is the only way people will start accepting you for not wearing one. You see, I'm not telling the people who are wearing the masks that they shouldn't wear one. Why are they telling me that I should? Well, because um, because um, um, you can have it and not know it and spread it. Okay, but they have their cloth face diaper on, so they should be fine, right? No, no. Why not? Well, look, I don't know. I just trust the science. Yeah. Okay. Okay, science. I got some, something for you to stick in your pipe and smoke. The place where I just returned from last week, Montgomery County, population 659,000. And, and some of the numbers, I don't remember. You can go look them up, fact check me. I've just, the data has slipped my mind, but the facts have not. So population 659,000, Montgomery County, Texas. Population 450,000. Nueces County, Texas, okay? That's Corpus Christi. Montgomery County is Conroe, about four hours apart. In Conroe, some people wear the mask, some people don't wear the mask. No one runs up to your face and screams at you with a bullhorn if you choose not to wear your mask. Corpus Christi, you better have on a mask. If you don't have a mask on, somebody's going to run up to you and tell you that you need to put it on. I'm going to save my theory about why these two places are different until a later time. Either way, they are. And the number of population that's been infected is twice as high in Corpus Christi than it is in Conroe, which almost has double the population. 
so that this virus has spread faster in a place where I would say 98% of people are wearing masks and maybe 2% are not, compared to Conroe where I saw maybe 70% in face diapers, 30% not, maybe 60-40. And so why can't we take these numbers and look at them and say, you know what, guys, maybe we should make some accommodations. Maybe we should let the people who don't want to wear them not wear them. It's like I always say, there's a certain group of people out there that love to make accommodations and be accepting and welcoming and not judgmental of certain groups. But of other groups, they give no ground. There's no accommodating. There's no compromise. This is the way it is. And it's just silly. I don't understand why people don't recognize this. Look, bottom line, there's no data. If you don't like the masks, quit wearing them. Do not care what people think about you. If you if you are worried, keep your distance. Stay away. Listen, when I'm around people in the public and I don't wear a mask, I stay away. I don't get up on people. I walk around the brewery. I talk to customers. They're sitting at a table. I don't get right up on their table. I stay four or five, six feet back. I don't talk directly in their direction. I turn my face a little bit to the side. See, these are things you can think about and you can make decisions with your brain and not just be a robot. Listen, I despise wearing a mask. I don't like the feeling of the sweaty and the snot and the spit and and all that crap in my face for more than five minutes. It drives me nuts. I hate it. I'm not telling you not to. I'm just telling you to be okay with me not. Just think about it. Just just think about easing up on the mask police because one day you're going to have to. This can't go on forever. Maybe it can. <clears throat> Maybe I'll be hated forever. Maybe old ladies will run up to me and scream forever. I don't know. Just please have some consideration for people who are into things that you're not into. How about that? But enough about the face diapers. I know you're tired of it. Moving right along. Do you remember in driver's ed when the instructors would say, hey, it's time for a video. Turn the lights off. And they would proceed to to wheel the cart to the front of the room that has a 27-inch box TV on it that weighs 400 pounds and connected to a VCR. And they push play. And an entire video is chock full of gory scenes of police, um, police videos showing people with their heads decapitated and blood everywhere. And we all know as we get older that the reason that they show us those things is basically to motivate us to make the right decisions. But what do they use? What's used? Fear, right? We see that and we're like, oh man, I do not want that to happen to me. I'll do whatever I'm supposed to do. Let's just not end up in that situation. You also see this at like the uh, the Halloween um, haunted houses that churches put on in order to scare teenagers into not getting an abortion. You know, you walk through there and they show you pictures of chopped up babies and dead babies and anything that would pull on your heartstrings so that you might never get an abortion. And so it's no secret that fear motivates people. It motivates them sometimes to do things and sometimes to not do. In this particular case, it's to not do something. So going back, looking at the media and particularly with COVID, but but the media in general has figured out, and it's always been this way, remember like the old saying, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. 
Um, these these types of stories are always of the biggest on the news, the ones that are gory and and they're sensationalizing them. They, they you feel a certain way when you see them. Normally, it's kind of bad, and so they present to you these these negative things that are happening because they know that we're a little bit more interested in those than we are the positive things, and that's just a, it's a fact of human behavior. We don't ever stop whenever someone's taking pictures and wildflowers on the side of the road, but we will slow down and look if they're dragging a body out of a burned-up car. Just the way it goes. Lots of people watch NASCAR for the wrecks. That doesn't mean they want anyone to get hurt. They just want to see a car crash and explode. So going back to the media, it's no secret that they sensationalize their stories. And it's not necessarily that they're trying to motivate you to do something or not do something. They're just trying to get the clicks out of you. They're just trying to see if you'll click on the next link, read the next story, click on the next link. They're competing for your attention. They want you to be on their website, on their smartphone app, tuned into their channel. The more eyes that are, the more money they make. So now let's take COVID. Let's take, remember all those, all those videos of, of the guys walking around in the hazmat suits and the gas mask and the piles of the body bags and the, the big track hoe digging the mass graves. And oh, it's just so terrible. This is all so bad. So the media presents this thing in a, in a light that makes them more money. But what is the side effect that that has? That it creates, it gives people this fear. It makes them scared. It makes them scared. Just like the video of the person being dragged out of the car in driver's head makes the person who watches it scared so that they won't drive drunk. The video of the hazmat suit scares people. Although the intentions of the media was not to scare you into performing or not performing a behavior, the intention was hey, let's just get their attention. Whatever happens after that not, has nothing to do with us. But the byproduct is this huge group of people who are terrified of something that if we break it down and we look at the statistics and we actually see the, the percentage of the people that this thing has killed, the vast majority of them are over the age of 60 or 70. Um, most of these deaths are happening in nursing homes. If you're less than 40 years old, your your chances of dying is like 0.003%. And so all that stuff doesn't sell. It doesn't gain attention. We're already living in the land of masks and face shields and plexiglass. So now to, to go against that to, is telling you like, oh yeah, all that stuff was wrong. No one likes to admit they're wrong. No one likes to admit they overreacted. We are living in a world where it just happened before our eyes. We, we bit in, we followed the news, everything they said. We got so worried, we saw the white suits. We've seen the pictures of the lungs. You know, we've, we've heard all this, the stories and the death and no one wants to die alone. And listen, I'm not saying this thing isn't real. I'm just saying to, to say that the media has not blown it up into a bigger story would be a lie. And that's it. Just think about when you see something, the intentions of the person who presented that has someone paid money for you to see something and that has an effect they're looking to get something out of that all right so they show you the video you're terrified you like it you look again at the same time you're still terrified and you're convinced you're convinced that this is the truth and that you need to be scared and that we need to wear a mask and we need to do all we can without thinking about the equal and opposite reaction see Everything we do has a, has a counter to it. 
There's a yin and there's a yang. It's just a big teeter-totter. It's called unintended consequences. My whole point is don't let propaganda change your behavior until you've done your own research. Now, listen, if you go out there and you've done your own research and you say, hey, look, I've had a kidney transplant, I've had a heart attack, I smoke, I'm overweight, and I don't exercise. So I'm scared. Okay, you know what? You probably should be. You probably should be. You probably should not be leaving your house. You should probably be terrified. But not someone else. Like, you, we all have the ability to look at the data. We just choose not to do it because it's easier to run around and be scared. Enough about that. Speaking of scared, I got a little exercise I want to go through here. Don't worry, your heart rate won't increase. I want you to think about your most favorite cheeseburger. I want you to start from the very top. Tell me what kind of bun, what kind of bun you're going to have. You're going to have the sesame seeds or maybe a pretzel bun or a Hawaiian bun. Is it going to be toasted or just warm, fresh baked, soft, hard or crispy? Then moving down, what kind of lettuce? You want the chopped up Whataburger iceberg lettuce? You want the big leafy lettuce? What kind of, what kind of tomato? You want tomato, big, crunchy, thick, pickles, juicy red tomatoes, onions, bacon, cheese? What? Just start going through it and picturing your favorite burger all the way top to bottom. Now, I want you to think about everyone you know. And would that be the perfect burger to them? Or might they choose their burger to be a little bit different? And, of course, the answer to that is no one likes the exact same burger. Well, maybe they do, but for the most part, burgers have endless combinations of things you can put on them. So, theoretically, I don't know if every single person could have a different perfect burger. We all know that it's going to have buns. We all know that it's going to have meat. Actually, you know what? A keto person, they may not have buns. And a a vegetarian, they're not going to have any meat. So, we can theoretically say that someone could have a burger that is made up entirely of things that don't go on the other person, another person's burger. My whole point is that like, we all have this different picture of, of perfection of what we want our burger to look like. And this is why they have the option on the menu, build your own burger, right? So I don't know why we feel that it's necessary to, to create a burger and run around and convince everyone that they should eat this burger because that's what the federal government does. The federal government comes to us and they say, hey, here's your burger. Now, you got to have buns, you got to have meat, you got to have tomatoes, you got to have onions. Other than that, you can do whatever you want to do. So is it really a a free place to have the kind of burger you want? I mean, you can't go, well, you couldn't for a while, go without health care insurance. Insurance. This is what they call in Vegas a sucker bet, right? U.S. federal government is forcing people to have health insurance. So that's just one example. I understand that some rules are in place for the greater good of other people. I'm not specifically talking about those. I'm talking about the rules like you have to wear a mask and you have to have insurance and all the stuff that we have to do or what what our perfect life should look like. It's different from person to person. So how do you how do you assemble uh, a country or a government that allows everyone? to have their own perfect burger without mandating that anyone has a starting point. You can have any kind of burger you want. If it's lamb meat, if it's frog feet, it doesn't matter. You can have it. So how would you go about doing that? It's called capitalism. It's called you give everyone the money that it takes to make that cheeseburger and you turn them loose and you say, go out and make your cheeseburger and buy whatever ingredients you want and make the cheeseburger exactly how you want it. Instead of that, 
what the direction that, that we're headed is that people say, okay, um, the federal government says, look, here, here's your starting point, here's your buns, here's your meat, um, here's your avocado, here's your tomato, uh, you're on your own after that. No, no. The, the best thing you can do is put the money and the power into people's hands and let them decide what the best cheeseburger is for themselves because their burger is different than your burger. The whole point of this is let's hold the federal government accountable and put them in a position to allow us to build our own burgers. Now I want a cheeseburger. I thought of a funny story the other day that I wanted to share. For those who know me know that I was a, a home builder for a while. I guess it's kind of like the Marines. Once you're a home builder, you're all... I worked for a company called David Weekly Homes. Uh, this was back in the home building heyday when everything was going nuts and houses were selling faster than you could put for sale signs in front of them. And so me and, and my friends, we all had this network of people who were all home builders and some guys were custom builders and some guys worked for big companies. But either way, every now and then, there would be a house that someone needed to move into or, or the house that was empty and someone needed a place to stay. So they would just make a deal with their buddies like, hey man, let me just come stay, stay in that house um, until it sells. And so there's no lease, there's no paperwork, this is just a handshake deal. You, um, you call up your buddies or they call up you and, hey, I need a place to live. Okay, here you go. And then that's it. When I tell you you got to move out, you got to move out. It, it worked beautifully. But there were two times that I got screwed on this deal. And it wasn't anyone's fault. Like, I agreed to it. I knew what could happen. But the first one was when we lived, um, my buddy Steven's dad was a home builder. And he had this uh, little house in a community called April Sound. And me and Steven moved into it until it was supposed to sell. And my friend Steven was working offshore at the time uh, for an oil company. So he would work like offshore for two or three weeks and home for a week or two. And I would just hold down the fort while he was gone. And so his dad, who was the home builder, called me and said, Hey, I got this house if you want to move into it. Well, Steven was offshore. So I gathered up all of our stuff, uh, moved it in there was unpacking, spent the entire week unpacking. It was literally the last day of the week. Steven was still gone. He hadn't come back yet. The last day of the week, I'm, I'm putting the last bit of dishes into the kitchen cabinet, and his dad calls me. He's like, hey, Brandon. Hey, what's up, Steve? I sold that house. Oh, no, the one we just moved into? Yep, yep. Y'all got to be out of there. Okay, when? By next weekend? I was like, no, literally just got finished unpacking. So I, I remember, I remember taking the last cup that I put into the cabinet and pulling it back out, sticking it right in the box within like 20 minutes. So we worked our way backwards. I packed everything up. Steven gets back in town. We finally moved again. I don't even remember where I lived after that. I need to go through and write down all of my moves because I figured out that I had moved 30 times by the time I turned 30. So I need to go back and figure them all out. But either way, another time uh, was when I was working at David Weekly Homes and my boss, his name was Jim, he, he would do speculative deals too. He would just buy a house like it was going to be his. And by the time they got done building it, just from some ram random other company, he, he would buy the home, say, yep, yeah, I'm going to move into it. And then by the time they got finished with construction, the value had gone up 20, 30%. Well, he would just turn around and sell it and never even take possession hardly, never move into it. And so he had one that had been sitting for a while. He's like, hey, uh, 
if anyone wants to move into this house, let me know. I need someone to babysit it. So me and my cousin Tyler said, yeah, we'll take it. So we had four truckloads of stuff that we had moved two over there the day before and two over there the day that we were officially moving in. And so it was on like the second floor and we had moved everything up the stairs. We had called one or two other buddies to come help and they helped us and we're done. And my phone rings and this was like on a Friday afternoon and it's Jim. I'm like, hey, what's up, Jim? He's like, hey, man, that house just sold. I was like, okay, when we got to be out of there? He's like, dude, don't even move your stuff in there. Uh, they're a cash buyer. They want to close like tomorrow or, or Monday. And uh, just don't even, I was like, dude, we've already moved in. We just put our last truckload of stuff in here. He's like, well, it's got to be out of there. So I was on the phone, literally hung up with him, start dialing for dollars, calling every realtor I know. Within 30 minutes, we had another place secured. I remember Tyler going, what are we going to do? What, what are we going to do? Where are we going to stay? What's going to happen? I said, don't worry, man. We're, we're going to sort this out. Don't, don't even worry about it. <laughs> sure enough, we had another spot, other side of the woodlands. And that same night, that same day, we had all our buddies come rally up and say, hey, bring your truck. Come help us out. And we loaded up all the trucks. We took one trip over to the new place, threw it all in the garage. It was a completely, um, it was already outfitted. It was corporate housing, had all the furniture and everything in it. So we just piled up all of our junk in the garage, left it there for like six months, and then, I don't know, moved, moved somewhere else after that that I also can't recall. So there's two stories that contribute to my gypsy blood. You know, I tell people, like, I am comfortable moving around. I have been lots of places. I have stayed lots of places. Home, to me, is where my dogs are. So it's, uh, it's funny. However, I will say, my trip to Conroe last weekend, you know, I... Uh, I go and visit my buddy Steven and his dad, and, and his dad is kind of like my, my dad, my second dad. And so I'm always looking forward to going there and visiting. Um, you know, I realized when I got there that there's no, there's only two more homes left in my life that, that give me the feeling of like returning home. You know, like when you, the feeling you get when you come home for Christmas and you walk into your old house, your old room, and it just feels very comfortable. Well, their house is one of them. And then uh, my buddy Zach's house in Nicaragua. So, like, those are the last two places that when I go to, it feels like home. Everything else is either I moved on, my parents have passed away, and so all of my grandparents are gone. Even uh, my aunts and uncles that I'm close to, they've all moved into different homes. So, those are the last two homes. Um, and, I, and I'm sure that, like, you know, there, there could be more in the future. I don't know. Uh, but for now, that's, um, I don't know, it was comforting to be there. It was it was nice to be there. And I think it's weird that we don't have a word for that feeling. I know that other languages do. And I find it odd that there's no such word in English. You know, since we're, uh, since we're in the business of changing things in the dictionary, perhaps we should add this one to the list. You know, I haven't really commented much, or actually maybe even at all, Maybe I have. I cannot remember. If I repeat myself on this thing, please forgive me. But in regards to the quote-unquote storming of the Capitol, I mean, I, I have never seen something blown out of proportion as this deal. And, and I listen to some left-leaning podcasts, and these guys, hey, they still cannot let go of it. They're still talking about it. So one thing that really strikes me odd and please forgive me once again, because I do enjoy seeking out and pointing out hypocrisy. It's one of my specialties. So if you remember back when Trump took office 
And no, I'm not one of those people who's just defending Trump. So if you'll remember back when he took office and he banned travel from specific countries, which didn't have very well maintained or organized systems. And so he, his whole thing was like, we just can't let people come pouring in if we don't know who they are. If, if the country from which they've come doesn't have a very secure system to maintain the passports and keep track of who's who, then maybe we should just stop and not let anyone through until we can get it all sorted out. I feel like that's the approach that he took. Of course, his opponents, everyone on the left, said that he was singling out Muslim countries. Now, perhaps he was. I don't know. I'm of the mindset that they happened to be Muslim countries. Even if he did single out Muslim countries, we can all say that a majority of the people who blow things up are Muslim. So take that however you want it. Regardless, everyone flipped out saying, no, you can't ban the Muslims. You can't. You have to, you have to let them come here because they're Muslims. And people got so mad that we were stereotyping and generalizing and grouping people and putting them in boxes and nobody could believe it. Fast forward four years to the uh, Trump's final rally where he was going to rally the troops to go to the Capitol and cheer for something or other. I don't know. He wanted someone to cheer for to overthrow. So, completely ridiculous, if you ask me, the whole idea, okay? But I listened to the speech word for word. Not one time did he, act any, did he ask anyone to act violently. Did he say, we're going to march in there? He never once. It was very somber. The tone was low. It, wasn't, it was almost like he was defeated. Well, the people go down there, and I could shoot holes in a lot of these things, but there was a timeline discrepancy between when these people rushed in the Capitol and when Trump finished speaking, and people stormed the Capitol actually before Trump was even done with the speech. Regardless... We get everything wrapped up. Of the five people that died, one was shot, one was hit with a fire extinguisher, one was a heart attack, one was a stroke, and the other one was unknown, but it was medical medical reasons or something like that. So two people died in the process of the riot. Five, five people total died. Three would have died anyway, presumably. So here we are. Nonetheless, we had like a couple hundred people storm in there. They're... Whack job nut people, every single one of them should have been shot in the face, if you ask me. I could, we could just leave it at that. But now, I feel like that the left is, is taking that stereotype, that generalization of the people who ran in there, and they are applying it to the right. And they are saying the right is just, they are, everyone has gone off the walls, they're all crazy, they all want violence, and I'm just sitting back here looking at this thinking, you people are, are out of your mind. You people are crazy. There's been 400 Trump rallies in four years. And there's been no... Oh, yeah, but though, no, there was a fight. At two of them, uh, people got in fights. Okay. Imagine if we had 400 Black Lives Matter rallies. How many cars get destroyed? How many windows get broken? Okay, listen, I'm not comparing tit for tat. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, well, you should be okay with this because you're okay with that. I'm saying, how can you be mad at one group 
for doing what another group did and you were not upset with them. You see, I'm not saying what either group did was right or wrong. I'm saying, hey, you, you people who are upset with all these Trump voters because a group stormed the building, how can you be upset with them and how can you not be upset with the people who set the federal building on fire in um, Seattle over the summer? How can you not condemn them? I don't understand it. I don't get how these people can be so hypocritical. I don't understand how someone can listen to his speech and say that he incited these... They're calling them like the Capitol riots. Like, I think maybe... I don't know how many dollars of property was destroyed, but probably not that much compared to the riots over the summer. I don't think it was a riot, if you ask me. You can call it whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Once again, most of these things that happen, they're little. These are little things that don't matter. And if we give them less attention, more than likely, they will happen less frequently. My, my rule is, if you destroy property, or you destroy people, or hurt people, that's not a peaceful protest. And it should be met with equal or greater force than what they present. And I understand that some people think that you should be able to riot and loot if you're more angry. If you're, if you're more mad, then yes, you, you, you can. But if for, for something that everyone thinks you shouldn't be that mad about, then no, no, you can't. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think nobody has the right to smash and destroy other people's property who are not involved in this particular incident. Just remember, not all Muslims blow things up and not all Trump voters are riot capital stormer people. You don't don't fear us. You don't have to fear the right. You you gotta fear the guy who's walking down the street with a gun who wants your tennis shoes and doesn't want to pay for them, doesn't want to work for them. He wants to shove a pistol in your face and take them off your feet. That's who you need to fear. You know who that guy voted for? Biden. Well, the final thing on my list of things to talk about is the uh, game stock stop game stop game 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 stock game stop stock. It's so easy to say. I don't ever want to have to say that again. I'm so tired of saying it. But that phenomenon, that whole thing. But since I dedicated a podcast solely to that a little bit earlier, I'm not going to go round and round. I would encourage you to go listen to that. If you want the details, um, yeah, the brief synopsis is uh, Reddit kids versus Wall Street. And so far, $70 billion has been extracted from Wall Street, shifted over to the planet of the apes. <laughs> and so we're not all the way through this thing. It's going to get more interesting. Uh, to me, this is more exciting than, than the presidential election. Um I don't even know anything that's going on around me. I don't know who's playing the Super Bowl. I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it has been wall-to-wall GameStop stock trading. But I do apologize for being gone last week. I don't know if I'm going to be here next week. I'm supposed to go out of town. But if I can get one done, I will. I've also been podcasting with my cousin Harry um, it's cool because we can do it remotely. He lives in Shreveport. So the first two have been <laughs> pretty much 100% GameStop. So you're going to get more of it there. I might uh, I might post them in my feed. Maybe I'll wait till we do a third one. 
because I feel like a lot of people besides me are probably uh, game stopped out. So I don't know. If you want me to post it, I will. It's um, good sound quality. That's one thing I made sure of. I was like, dude, we can do one, but I'm not calling in a phone. You're not going to be on the phone. It's going to be solid. So he went out there, found a website that, that sucks in the inputs from both of our mics and puts it into one file. It sounds great. So look for more of those. I don't know if we're actually going to rename and start a new podcast thread or if we're just going to post them to our each each of our individual threads. So I don't know. We barely even know what we're doing. I'm doing good to turn on a computer. Well, I think that's going to wrap up today's show. That's lots and lots and lots of recording and editing for me in one day. So I'm going to have to go. I do appreciate you listening. Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. Get out there. Pay attention to the stock market. Look at the signs around you that our economy is about to take a big downturn. Prepare yourself. Speak your mind. Help other people. Don't be judgmental. And most of all, keep it tranquilo. That's his own head.